Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 141. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, the person who actually coined the name John X. That's right. So a lot of you know my real name is John Ekstrom. And in college, my DJ radio handle was Johnny X, which the further I get away from college, the more I sort of recognize what a juvenile name that was. But... My good friend, Braden Dick, he is the guest on this week's show. He, for whatever reason, just called me John X. He's like, hey, John X, uh, we're drinking over here. Why don't you come join us? And I'm like, it's odd that he shortened my name in that way, but you know what? I'm going to go with it. And at the time I started this show, I was still in my corporate gig, so I had to do sort of a reasonable facsimile of my real name. I didn't want it to be spot on because I was kind of doing it on the side, on the margins, and went with John X. And Braden Dick is the originator of that. So we've been friends for a long time. We met through college radio. He's a great dude. We went to punk rock bowling together, kind of kept in touch. He lived in L.A. for a while. He was in the music industry. Uh, He took a job doing audiovisual support for this company that works with Fortune 500 companies doing setup. He goes through that in this week's episode, and he's now out on his own. He's been doing that now for uh, more than a year, maybe a year and a half called Global Meeting Technologies. It's gmtav.com. So check that out on the web. It's on the John of All Trades companion blog piece, jonofalltrades.us. And he's also my co-founder at Mile High 100. Now, if you're sort of in my orbit, there's a good chance you've seen something about this. I put it out in my company newsletter. Deft Communications does a periodic newsletter, and I talked all about it in that. Check out Deft on the web, d-e-f-t-c-o-m.us. And then also put it out on Facebook. So this is a really cool endeavor. Braden actually brought it to me. And the concept is we have 100 people. They're all committed to writing a $100 check four times a year. We gather everyone together. We listen to three nonprofits make their best pitch. They each have five minutes each. We take a vote. And whoever wins, whoever gets the most votes, takes home the $10,000. It's a great way to get involved in the community. Give something back. Get a little tax benefit for yourself. And minimal time commitment. So we're really enthused about it. The first meeting is August 15th. That's a Tuesday. It's at 5.30 p.m. It's at Industry, which is a co-working space. Big thanks to them for hosting and for donating the beer. 3001 Brighton Boulevard in Denver. So we spent some time on this week's episode talking about that. We chat about music. We talk about the challenges of being an entrepreneur, about the lack of glamour of business travel, which is something that's come up on this show again and again. Overall, it's a great episode with a great dude. Braden's one of my favorite people, so it's a delight to get to feature him here on this week's show. Without further ado, let's get to this week's show. It's number 141, Braden Dick. He is my co-founder at Mile High 100. He's also the creator and founder of Global Meeting Technologies. His episode starts right now. I used to be really into the punk, punk and like, you know, right. I kind of had like some genres that I was into. And then when I got out of the music industry, I kind of 
um, got away from music for a while and then got back into it by listening to Kiss FM <laughs> because uh, and country radio because you don't have to think about what's going to happen in any of those songs. Um, they just happen. <laughs> <laughs> like when you put on country, country is the perfect thing for like drinking a beer in the middle of the afternoon okay. because you don't have to think about it. Like you know the guy's going to get in the truck. You know there's going to be a girl and they're probably going to be drinking some light beers. <laughs> like it's it's not too – doesn't take too much uh, – uh, <laughs> There's not a lot of dynamism in terms of uh, thematical content, right? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that's funny. So when I got back into that, um, then I was like, there's a time and a place for everything. And, you know, I'm I'm now into that. But um, I don't know. I was listening to the new Jay-Z record on the way over. Did you listen to that one? Uh, What, the new one? Mm -hmm. I'm not a big Jay-Z fan, to be honest with you. Okay. No, I I had this debate with my friend Shay about hip-hop. And I think I tend to overrate delivery versus everything else, like... And that's why I love people like DMX and Ludacris. Yeah. Even though probably they're not the best rappers. And I recognize Jay-Z has a lot of talent. Yeah. But his delivery just bores the shit out of me. Okay. I just, I can't handle it. He's, he sounds so monotone and so dull that I'm like, nope, not into this. <laughs> okay. Remember the whole big Jay-Z versus Nas thing when we were in college? Yes. Yeah. I was firmly... Uh, it in... was high school for me. You're significantly older than I am. <laughs> I'm not significantly older than you are. <laughs> You can choke on it, buddy. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but uh, I was firmly in Team Nas back then. Really? I mean, who was our hip hop director at the time before Milena? Or uh, Rebecca? Yeah, I think right. I think it was Rebecca too. And she used to ask me about that, and I'm like, I do the punk show, I'd... <laughs> but Nas definitely. Yeah. So you're more of an East Coast guy. Uh, you don't like Jay Z? No, I'm definitely West Coast. Yeah, I think because I'm not into Biggie either. Did you watch the uh, what's that uh, documentary on HBO? No, with uh, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. Uh huh. What's it called? It's called the. I can never remember it. I just watched it last night. All right, whatever. It's interesting if you um, if you are interested in in that, and they talk about like the West Coast East Coast thing, and they talk about how Jimmy Iovine went from working with John Lennon mm-hmm. to owning Interscope Records and working with Dr. Dre and right. like, the biggest hip hop albums of all time, and then selling beats to Apple for three point two billion dollars and. It's an interesting story if you don't know it. You know, no, that sounds fantastic. Something uh, I'd definitely be interested in. Two things I've been listening to lately. One is a band called The Shelters. Yeah. You ever heard The Shelters? No. They're really good. It's uh, it's very like garage rock style, but uh, it sounds like you could listen to it either in 2017 or like 1968. Okay. So like nice. got a great sound. That's like real stripped down, real just cool. Okay. And then the other one is Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Oh, I like her. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. I, I came upon that. Someone was listening to it at a party, and I'm like, what is this playlist? Yeah. And so I just shazammed it, and I talked to the, the guy whose party it was, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, we got a bunch of music nerds here, and they all said we should listen to Sharon Jones. Nice. I go, cool. They, uh, she has a great uh, cover of uh, Man's World. Yeah. Uh, that song gets me every time. Yeah, uh, that's off their album, Naturally. Um, which is one I have on vinyl upstairs. Nice. So uh, she also does kind of a take on This Land is Your Land. Oh, really? Which, yeah, is really cool. I'll check that out. Um, yeah, you'll enjoy it. So Braden Dick is sitting here in my basement. We've been friends for a long time, man. We have been. Uh, when did we meet? So when did you come to CSU? 2001. Okay. And I remember meeting you in the hallway, and I was struck. This is probably not the first time you've heard this. I was struck by how tall you were. And how good-looking I was. <laughs> well, Definitely. <laughs> But uh, at the time, I wasn't secure enough in my manhood to admit that. <laughs> Upon reflection, absolutely. You put me on my ass. <laughs> but uh, you were like substitute DJing after I got done with a shift. 
And uh, I think you were a freshman back then. Did you just go straight into radio? Like, Yeah, I did. It was uh, one of the things I wanted to do when I went to CSU. And uh, frankly, it was probably the only reason that I graduated college was because I had to be a student in good standing to keep working at the radio station. Oh, funny. Yeah, and um, you actually got paid to work there, too. I did eventually, yeah. Um, so that was great. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I remember that. I think um, I came into the studio probably at like 2 o'clock in the morning. and yeah, maybe. Um, uh, I think that my uh, uh, roommates and uh, people from the dorms tuned in for about two seconds, and they were like, <laughs> "I got." I remember getting back, and I was like, "Do you guys hear me on the radio?" And they were like, "Yeah." And I was like, well, "What do you think?" They're like, "I don't know. We turned it off. <laughs> we went to bed, man." Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that was uh, probably fall of two thousand one. Okay, that's right about the time I got into it too. Uh, that was that big KCSU one hundred and one where they were like. Remember it was in like one of the Clark lecture halls and there yeah. were like a zillion kids there? Yeah. So it took me forever to get trained. Yeah, it, I remember that. It did take a while for that. And um, I remember all the way through my time there, we were live basically 24 hours a day, yeah. which I always thought was cool. And, and I went on to be program director and music director and kind of um, ended up steering the station, you know, the best that I could. Um and I was always really proud that we were able to convince um, a bunch of freshmen to come in and DJ from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. No on a Wednesday right? morning. But uh, <laughs> somehow we did it. And uh, I thought it was cool. And, and that, was, uh, that, was, that was really a lot of fun. Yeah, it was amazing. And for what it's worth, and no disrespect to Dittmer, but I voted for you for station manager. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> 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 I don't even, I don't even remember that. Right, you're going really far back. Oh yeah, no, like uh I remember it was it was you and Dittmer vying for station manager. And like I was pals with Dittmer. I was, you know, I was close with him. I was probably better pals with you, but as I looked at it objectively cuz I think you were coming off being PD. Yep. And I'm like, ah, I I got to give the edge to to my buddy Braden. And lo and behold it was not to be, but I think you were happier as music director anyway, right? I was and uh if I had to go back and if I had to um, give unsolicited advice to anyone interested in working in college radio, it would definitely be be music director. Yeah. Because all of the labels uh, in bands really just want their music played. And so when you call and you're like, I'm the music director, can I go see XYZ show or can I go to this party at South by Southwest or any of the right. music conferences? Um, the music director always gets in and no one else from the station that do they care about too much. <laughs> Wow, that's good to know. But um, but I've told people, and I, I there were a couple people that um, I stayed in touch with after I graduated, and and I told them I said this is the best job you will ever have in your life, and it really was because we got paid a little bit, not much, right? Um, to basically talk to record labels, talk to bands, to listen to CDs, and then decide what we were going to put on the radio. Yeah, and uh, I basically continue to do that, but now I don't get paid for it. <laughs> And I don't have a radio station outlet. I just have the headphones at my desk and my cubicle. Right. And it's just not quite as fulfilling. Yeah. And no one cares who I am. No one cares that I listen to uh, the new Jay-Z record. Yeah. So, so when you call up uh, bands and record labels and be like, hey, you want to let me into this party at South by Southwest? They're like, who are you? Yeah. I'm like, I got a sweet cubicle over in Rhino. You got to check it out. Like, yeah, it's come by sometimes. Space. Yeah. It's just I can get you can get you free beer. It's good. Uh, yeah, if you show up before ten, there's usually a lot of coffee, but uh, in the afternoons, kind of hit or miss. <laughs> What's amazing to me though is you actually parlayed that, and so many people think they want this into a job in the music industry. Now, I never had the musical vocabulary for that. I had at the time a very narrow taste, and then I got married, and my taste opened up quite a bit, which was nice. And I'm like, why was I such a gash about all these different styles of music when I was coming up? But that's sort of 
the pro and con of punk rock, I think. Because if you're really into punk rock, you tend to hate everything else. Like right, wrong, or indifferent. You tend to hate it. And I bought into that a little too hard. And then I'm like, I missed out on some really good stuff. And it yeah. took me years later to come back to it. Yeah. But so I always thought with that said that you and John, the other music director, created a great sound for the station. Oh, thank you. Like there was a lot of really good punk at the time, but there was a ton of other cool stuff. And anytime I turn it on, I wasn't like annoyed by it. You know, like some college radio, you're like, uh, the taste here seems a little bit. Not as well calibrated, yeah. But I, th I thought you guys dialed in a really good sound. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think that's it's a big part of what that job is. And programming radio is is an inexact science, but it's an art form for sure. And and unfortunately, it's kind of dying. Um, yeah. With terrestrial radio, just isn't the same it is. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, I only basically listen to Spotify when I drive around. Mm. Um, I just did a road trip. I drove from Miami to Chicago, and I didn't bother trying to find any of the local radio stations because all I had to do was dial up Country Gold, and then <laughs> I, I was good to go for right. all of Kentucky and all of uh, uh, not Nebraska, um, Kentucky and Tennessee. Sorry. You ever listen to bluegrass in the car? Uh, yeah, well, I was telling you earlier, like I, I'm a firm believer there's a time and place for yeah. everything. But it feels like someone's chasing you, which is the problem. <laughs> it does. Those banjos are mean, man. Yeah, dude. You're like, you're turning around. You're like, am I, where's Boss Hog? <laughs> <laughs> you're waiting for deliverance to come on in your, your view mirror to light up with the uh, cop cars. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Um, but I mean, you're right. It's it's something that is kind of going away a little bit. I still listen to terrestrial radio. I also have satellite radio in my car, which is really good. If um if you want to know what's going to be in car commercials like six months from now, just listen to Alt Nation, oh, really? Sirius XM. Yeah, you'll you'll hear it six months before it's in a car commercial. It's you know it's so funny. I uh, when I got out of the music industry, it took me a while to care about music again and want to consume music again. Jesus, I'll bet. Um, cause it just, it, it gets to the point where it's not fun. And I think that anyone with a job can relate to this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important in picking a career to find something that you like and that you enjoy and you find fulfilling because you're going to spend so much time doing it that, uh, it, it will take any sort of fun away from it. <laughs> and so, yeah. You after, almost have to love the process. Yeah. After college, I went and worked for a record label for, for a while and then I was doing licensing for TV and film. Um, both of which were great jobs and I, I learned a lot and I really liked, but it was like going to four or five shows a week. Yikes. And that was on top of being in the office from nine to five or nine to six or whatever we were working. Um, and it just got to be a hustle and I just got to stop caring about seeing bands. And so then when I got out of the industry and I didn't have to do that anymore, it took me a long time to be excited to go to a show or, or be excited to pick up a record or about release day or anything like that. And, um, and then so I um, kind of came back around to it uh, about six months or a year after I got out of it um, and then kind of started to embrace a lot of music. And, and I, I admittedly missed a lot of stuff when I was in college, kind of for the same reason that you did, um, was that you kind of just have this idea in your head like, oh, well, I'm only interested in this style or I'm only interested in this genre or something. And, and I think that there is... Uh, something to be said and again a time and a place for uh taylor swift and top 40 radio and um, name whoever you want oh, it doesn't sure, really yeah. matter um it, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it the songwriting is good the production is good yeah. and like we were joking before you know i love listening to country western especially like on a lazy afternoon because you don't have to think about it yeah no uh, and what you said is so real about in terms of like 
what I do on this show. And you'll hear that from people because ostensibly people get into something because they love it. And then there's so much work and so much extra stuff that goes into this thing that you once loved that it becomes a grind. Right. And with every glamorous job, and I mean, part of the origin story of this podcast is I had to go to the governor's mansion here like twice in a week. And that was on top of all this other after work stuff. I was going to galas and black tie things. I remember and all you that. telling me about that. Yeah. And eventually you're like, God, I just want to go home. Like I, I can't do this on top of my normal job too. I used to do this kind of thing for escape. Now it's part of like how I make money. And that deglamorizes it in a hurry, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Like I, if you if you told yourself in college that when when you're out, your job will entail you going to four to five shows a week, what would you have said? Like you, I would have been like, oh, sign me up. That sounds yeah. great. I, and, <laughs> I'm in. And, and at the time, that that's what I wanted to do, and that's kind of why I took that road and I moved from Colorado um, to Los Angeles and did the whole thing and didn't get paid very much and right. then after a while you, i think it's perfectly natural you kind of take a step back and you take stock and you go okay what am i really doing with my life and, and and what fulfillment am i getting out of this and i kind of realized that going to four or five shows a week and getting into all the parties and knowing this person and that person like that was a lot of fun but at some point in time i had to make some money to live right and when you're making $500 a week and paying $800 a month in rent this was back in 2005 good lord uh and paying taxes on that as an independent contractor with no health insurance it doesn't add up so you were making roughly like 24 grand a year exactly this? 24 grand a year so as an yeah, independent contractor no health insurance and good god man that's... 800 bucks a month in, in rent plus some utilities plus, you know, car payment, whatever else you got. Well, and plus, I mean, how much were you commuting back then? Yeah, well, it's LA, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the kind of the joke when I moved to L.A., um, which is where I grew up and then I, I came back later and some of my friends from Colorado and from, from Colorado State came to visit. And they'd be like, well, how far is this? And I'd be like, oh, 20 minutes. <laughs> but the, but in reality, it was an hour. Yeah. And in L.A., uh, you are committed to driving uh, 30 minutes to an hour, I would say is a typical commute there. And uh, I got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And, and I, that's not why I got out of the music industry, but it's definitely right. why I don't live in LA anymore. Well, and certainly a contributing factor, you know, I mean, as you look at your overall quality of life, you're like, well, yeah, yeah. So look, we, we all need to make money to pay the bills. Um, and we all need time to get our head right and do things that we're interested in. And so when your job is doing something that you used to love, mm. that you don't love anymore, and then your free time you're spent in the car commuting and you're not going to the gym and you're not involved in a charity initiative or you're not in a softball league or whatever it is, right? right. Um, it's kind of soul-sucking and you kind of end up reduced down to the lowest common denominator of a person right. who on the surface seems to have a really cool job, but deep down inside it wasn't at all fulfilling or the path I wanted to go down. And, and so... I mean, what you're describing perfectly encapsulates that. That would be like a definite, a dictionary definition of resentment. Like yeah. you, you end up resenting your entire life. Yes. And that sucks. Like that's a terrible place to be. So I remember when you were doing the music thing, I saw you out here a few times. And then I saw you even more sporadically because your new role took you all over the world. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So. What was that? Like, how did you make that transition? First of all, how'd you get out of music? And then how did you find your way into sort of what you're doing now? And we'll get to you going out on your own here in a bit. Um, so uh, 
I think that getting out of music was, it wasn't really something that I chose, but a lot of things aligned at the right time. Okay. And the really humbling thing about the music industry, as with any industry really, is that you can know everyone and you can know all of the job opportunities, but it, it is so deep in nepotism and uh, having someone really be a champion and an advocate for you. Um, at, at the time that I was thinking about getting out of the music industry, I had told myself I was going to do a, a five-year experiment and I had just graduated college and I said, okay, I'm going to do this for five years. I'll be 27 and then I can kind of retake stock. Do I want to go back to school? Do I want to, whatever I want to do. Yeah. So I got to 25 <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of things just kind of aligned and I things were winding down at the company that I was at at the time. And I kind of saw the writing on the wall that I needed to go out and find something else. And I was having a hard time getting interviews or anything like that. And I had moved into this house, um, in East LA and Silver Lake and which I don't really understand how or why we were able to move into that house because when we were living there, it was easily a million and a half dollar house. Wow. And, uh, it was like five bedrooms, great backyard, <laughs> And everyone that worked in the house worked at either an entertainment or was an actor. And there were four full-time roommates, but five five rooms. And the fifth room was always like a revolving door of whoever <laughs> had just gotten fired or broken up with their boyfriend or yeah. whatever, right? And uh, so we got a little bit of money for those people. But The fifth it, room was like a refugee but, camp. But yeah, for the amount of money that we were paying for this house, it didn't add up. And the best part was is that no one who signed the original lease still lived in the house when I still lived there. <laughs> and so uh, the landlord would come over from time to time to fix something or just check in or something Saturday mornings. And he would always ask for Brian. And the, I never met Brian in the entire two years that I lived there. Right. And uh, the, the line was always that Brian was at work. And yeah. Brian used to work all the time. But if the landlord needed him, we could call him and he could show up. And someone through a friend of a friend of a friend knew, knew Brian. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so the landlord let us stay in the house. But to make a long story shorter, um, uh, through that group of people, random revolving door of people uh, at, at the house, um, someone had sent out an email to their group of friends and said, hey, uh, I have been working for this company, this event company for uh, two years. I've gone to probably about 20 countries and I'm leaving. I'm going back to school, get my MFA. Right. And uh, do you know anyone who's interested? And at the time I was 25 and I was trying to kind of figure out, you know, what was the next step for me? And, and I'd been I'd been a lot of places and I'd done a lot of things. And I was like, ah, I really like to uh, travel for work and try and figure out a way to get paid for that. And so I ended up working at uh, basically an audiovisual production company. And we had a couple of really big contracts with some um, Fortune 500 companies. And they kind of said, hey, you guys are going to take care of all of the audiovisual for all of our corporate events, for our meetings, our trainings, right. um, sales meetings. So basically, I, I explained to people. Anytime you walk into a hotel ballroom or convention center and there's audiovisual, there's lights, projectors, uh, sound, anything like that is kind of what we um, coordinated. Right. And so I was at that company for about eight years. And in that time, I've, I've, I lost track, probably easily 30 or 40 countries. Wow. And I kind of just tell people I've worked in every major city in the world almost. Well, how many days were you typically on the road in a year? <laughs> um, just, just working or or traveling and, and not personal days um however you want to answer that is okay with me yeah so um either on an airplane to a job or in the act of working um about 125 to 150 days a year wow that is that's a lot of days 
especially if you think about it. So <clears throat> there is uh, 365 days in a year, right? Subtract uh, 104 uh, for weekends, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's 250. Plus work, two weeks of vacation. Yeah, work days a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's more than 50% travel in yeah. terms of like a standard work day. Yeah. And what people don't understand either, because, I mean, I never traveled that much for work. I was probably on the road uh, 50 days a year, something like that. Um, it, was about a, it was about a quarter travel, so f- somewhere between 50 and 100 days a year. I was always like United Silver. That's as high as I got. Uh but what people don't realize is what a grind that is. Yeah. You know, people go, you get to travel for work and that it's like, oh, that's really fun. And you're going out to dinners and you're doing, and it's like, yeah, I'm looking at the inside of a hotel ballroom. Right. Like almost always. Cause I was doing the same thing. I wasn't, you know, setting up, I wasn't doing the AV or anything, but I was an attendee. Right. And it's hard to make those different. And the carpet in hotel ballrooms is universally ugly too. Oh yeah. I have a Instagram account. Um, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, called uh, Real Hotels, Real Carpet. Oh, that's fantastic! And I have to be honest; I ha- I've kind of fallen off this year. I've I, I haven't been very diligent at documenting the carpets. Yeah. But um, last time I checked, I think I had about a hundred or so of uh, some of my favorite ballroom carpets. Wow! Do you remember where they are off the top of your head? Uh, no, off the top of my head, but they're all geotagged, and so okay. you can go check <laughs> <Nice>. it out. <laughs> so okay, so you did that for like eight years. Uh, I remember one time you came through Denver, and you were doing like a run. Um, you were doing like a, like a points run or something. Oh like, yeah. Like a, what is that? Can you explain that for people who don't know what that is and why you would do one? Sure. And, so, and so, and also go through the route that you took, if you remember it. Uh, okay. So, um, <laughs> I can't, uh, I'm laughing because I can't actually believe that I did this. I can't believe I know about this. It's kind of embarrassing, but basically, um, when you have to travel in general, uh, let me back up. I don't think anyone listening or anyone that we know would say, I just love getting on the airplane. I, <laughs> right. I had this great experience on this airline. Um, and I would say that that's basically true. And it, unfortunately, um, air travel has become a commodity service in America. Right. And people just want to pay the lowest fare, which they do. And if you actually figure out the cost of the fuel and, and all of the stuff, it's very difficult for the airlines to make money. Right. Uh, they do make money, um, but they've consolidated the airlines and consolidated the routes and the routes. And, and they're stripping away services. Like they, strip, I mean, they strip away services. So people want to pay the lowest amount, but then they uh, expect good service. And unfortunately, those two things don't coexist. Um, so when right, They're sort of in opposition to each other. So when you book the cheapest flight, you're going to get the middle seat, you're going to be in the last row, and you're not going to be able to put your carry-on bag uh, in the overhead compartment. Well, when you travel for business, you can earn status, um, and the the higher your status, the more tolerable uh, business travel or travel in general becomes. And you get things like upgrades, you get free checked baggage, you get extra baggage allowance, um, increased weight, um, you know, more you leg bring, room. Yeah. More leg room, all sorts of stuff. And you don't have to pay for it. So you can go book the cheapest ticket. And if you have the top status, a lot of times you can, uh, pretty much count on being upgraded to first class where you get a meal, um, uh, a bloody Mary and, you know, take a nap and right there you go. Um, so, uh, the problem is, um, you have to reach certain thresholds and they are basically designed to reward the highest 
spending customers. Right. And so um, I think most airlines, it's like 25,000 miles, 50,000 miles, and 100,000 miles um, are the standard thresholds. And if you only fly domestically in America, it's difficult to get up to 100,000 miles flown in one year. Uh, very much so. Um, but that's the status that you want. And so this particular year, I was a little bit short on my miles and I wanted to have a hundred thousand miles so that I could qualify for the next year. Cause you only keep your status for one year. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted to keep my, uh, status so I could count on the upgrades and all you know, the, the perks of flying. Well, that, that make your job just a little bit easier because getting on an airplane, like does weird things to your body physio- physiologically too. Yes. And when you're doing that constantly, it makes doing the job that you're paid for that much more difficult. Yes. And in my line of work, um, we're doing events that are last for two to five days. And so typically for an event, we'll be in a city for, you know, 36. I flew to Barcelona one time for 36 hours. Um, there's more time on the airplane than it was uh, on the ground and turned around and came back. Um, uh, you know, up to four or five days. But when you're crossing nine or 10 time zones, it's, it's, it's a serious thing. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, I was a little short this one year, and I think I flew L.A. to Washington, D.C., D.C. to Denver, went to the Broncos game. Right. Don't exactly remember getting on the airplane after the Broncos game. (laughs) Woke up in Miami, and then because of the time zone, flew Miami back to L.A. and was in L.A. at like 10 in the morning got in my car and went back to the office and I, I left at LA uh, Friday at midnight or something like that. So I didn't have to take any time off work. Wow. Uh, and, and what's funny too, is you can either earn status through miles or through status segments, which is like, there were times I needed an extra segment. So I was flying back from Reno. Yeah. So instead of taking a nonstop, like a normal person flew up to Portland <laughs> yeah, and then flew Portland to Denver. Yeah. Which, I- I was, business travel will make you do some weird, like counterintuitive decision making. I was explaining to someone uh, just last night about how normally, because um, you're you're in client, everyone's in client services. Everyone has a client, right? Right. Um, you, you can't just book. I fly United Airlines, and there's this direct flight from LA to Heathrow that's really great, but it costs three times as much as the American flight. That doesn't fly with clients. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. And uh, so then you start doing things go- like going like, well, the American direct flight is $2,000, but if I fly United from LA to Houston and Houston to Colorado Springs and Colorado Springs over to Newark and then back up and over and then go to London... Uh, it only adds 12 hours to my travel time <laughs> and, and it's a hundred dollars cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wild times, man. But, uh, if you're going to travel for business, you have to, I mean, you have to just pick one airline and one hotel chain and, and it adds up and, and yeah. it's great. And, um, the perks are definitely worth it and it, and it makes, it makes traveling toler- more tolerable. And so I think a lot about when I'm not traveling this much and I lose all my status, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to fly anywhere. Yeah. Or hopefully I have enough money I can just buy first class tickets. But to be honest, that's not on the horizon. <laughs> or you're just going to switch over to Southwest like I did and fly with all the other leisure travelers. Right. And and that's and that's fine. Uh, but they don't go to Europe. They don't go to no, Asia or South tough. America. So um, I don't want to brag about my status, but uh, there was one time I was staying at a Courtyard Marriott in uh, <laughs> Loveland. 
Colorado, so just up the road. And uh, upon check-in, guy gave me a free Snickers bar. <laughs> so, you know, it's not all bad when you're traveling for business like that. But, uh, okay, so you went out on your own uh, not that long ago, right? Yeah, January of 2016. Okay. So about a year and a half ago. I remember getting a message from you after I went out on my own uh, in 15. So I'd been at it for like eight months, and you sent me this message. You're like, hey, I, uh, I'm thinking about going out on my own. Uh, any advice? And I don't remember what I told you, but you're like, also, can I have $20,000? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, how well do you think I'm doing? <laughs> I'm like, pretty well, but not that well. I, I, I thought that was a reasonable request. Well, hey, you know what? You got to give people an opportunity to say yes, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, what's the worst they're going to say? No. Yeah. And what? You're still out 20 grand? Yeah. You didn't already have? Um, but uh, how's it been so far? Uh, it's good. So um, I started Global Meeting Technologies um, January 2016. And uh, it's funny because I one of the first things I did when I was thinking about this and, and as I went out on my own was call all my friends who have their own businesses or have had businesses they've closed and gone back to um, working for someone else and just kind of pick their brain about it. And yeah. uh, I know you've talked a lot about it on the podcast and I've listened and I remember being on a plane. And it was just you talking. And <laughs> was it a solo app? It was a solo app. And uh, you were kind of, I think, recapping the year, recapping that you'd been in business, I think, for a year or two years, some milestone. Right. And uh, you said something like, every night before I go to bed, I, I stay up because I'm worried I haven't done enough. Right. And then at the same time, I think I'm a fraud. Someone is going to, someone's going to find me out and I can't believe they're paying me to do this. Yeah. And I just remember being on this airplane, just laughing out loud. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever, but I think that's kind of what sums up, um, being an entrepreneur and being out on your own. Um, it, it, it's, um, it's difficult. Um, it's, it's a difficult thing to do and it's difficult to kind of put into words what it's really like. Um, but when I had called all my friends and family who had been entrepreneurs, had businesses and various states, quickly you realize that there's a definite type of person that is cut out for it. Right. And there's a, a certain, uh, kind of drive and uh, a- ambition you have to have in order to get close to making it work. And that was really interesting to me. And as I kind of think back about the last year and a half and the time leading up to me starting the company was that I was never going to be a very good employee. <laughs> and uh, I, I relate to that on a, on too much of a level. Yeah. And, 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 and that's not, not to say that I'm not, uh, uh, that I don't care about my work or that I, I'm not a, a good worker or I don't deliver for my clients or anything like that. I just have a hard time with people telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't care for it either. Yeah. And, uh, and so for me, the, the coolest part of this all is that every morning I get up and I think to myself, okay, what am I going to do today? And how am I going to further this company? And what is that going to look like? Right. And, it's difficult because sometimes the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's that more often than I might like. And then I sit around drinking my coffee in a full panic that I'm not doing anything. Um, but then some days you wake up and you're like, no, I've got this idea and something I want to work on. And you don't have to clear it with anyone. And you're just kind of like, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And we're going to go do it and see if it sticks. 
Yeah. I mean, you have to be very self-driven, number one. I think – I mean, that's that's an obvious point to make, but I think it's one that's worthy of playing up because the the amount of work that you have to do is sort of it, – it, it's surprising. I'll say that <laughs> because I was thinking about it today as I was having a hard time getting it going. Like I was working on some client stuff before you came over. And it was just going so slow. Like, it was just molasses coming out of me. And I was thinking, you know, this is the rare time where I kind of wish, like, I had a job where I was working for someone else where I could just, like, hang out and read the internet. Right. Like, where you can coast a little bit. Because especially if you're working for a big company, there's a lot of room for coasting because things tend to move very slowly. Right. And... You know, I can look out the window like for a while. Now, if I'm looking out the window, it's like because I'm racked with anxiety over the inability inability to come up with work product that I need to deliver soon. Right. The other thing that I think is underrated, it takes an almost sociopathic level of self-confidence <laughs> to do this, which is why you have the fraud, <clears throat> which is why you have the fraud thought so frequently. Right. Right. Because it's like I have to have this level of belief in myself, which I don't always have. Right. right? So a lot of times you just have to make it up and just do it anyway, which is why I personally am like, oh, my God, who's letting me do this? Right. Like, how am I actually in business? Like, right. People are paying me to do this. Right. They're going to find out that I am not this confident like in real life. Right. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, man. It's it's terrifying and rewarding and it it's still the best thing I've ever done. Are you feeling that way? Uh, absolutely. And it is, uh, infinitely rewarding. Um, and the further that I've gotten into it and the more I've thought along these lines and had this discussion with myself, um, kind of, um, I, I always think back about that Saturday night live episode with, uh, Will Ferrell and the blue oyster cult and, um, <laughs> Christopher Walken. And he's like, I'm, I'm Bruce Dickinson. I'm just like you. I put my pants on one leg at a time, except when I put my pants on, I make gold records. <laughs> but, yeah, but I kind sense. of, I kind of think about that and I've kind of come to realize that no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. Everyone's making it up and it doesn't really matter how big of a company that you're at. There is a certain hierarchy and you can go all the way to the top and no one knows what they're doing. They're just making it up. And so the difference between being out on your own and or being at the top of the company is that you're the buck stops with you, and ev- yeah. you know everything else comes up and up to you. Um, whereas when you're an employee, you know things kind of tend to trickle down, and you right. just do the best that you can there. But everyone is making it up. Well, I think that's a terrifying level of accountability for some people, and it becomes prohibitive. Because not everyone wants that level of accountability or that level of responsibility. Right. Right? And, I mean, that's what separates people from being entrepreneurs and people who are comfortable sort of being employees. Yeah. When I was an employee, I'm like, I and I got a problem with authority. I know that. I, <laughs> so that's a punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and if you've met my father, like, you'll get that too. But uh, it's one of those things where I, I didn't like the idea of – just working for someone else because it's like what like what am I doing here? Uh, especially when I spent those two ill-fated months at the energy drink because I felt like what I was doing didn't matter. Number right. one, my boss was one of the toughest people I've ever worked for. I to put it mildly. And secondly, I'm like, okay, if I do my job really, really well, like better than anyone who has ever done this job, what have I accomplished at the end of the day? We've sold some more energy drink, and I go, who gives a shit? Right. Like I don't care. 
Right. Because you're not selling it and you're not. Yeah. I didn't make the energy drink. And right. like, do I think people even need energy drinks? Probably not. No. And it's, it's not a, I mean, clearly it's not a product that you're passionate about. Right. And in doing this, I've had this conversation with a lot of people that there are good businesses um, and you can have a good business in an industry that you might not have chosen but you become passionate about it and you learn everything there is to learn about it. Oh, yeah. And no, I'm zen about it like that. Sure. When I was in college, even before college, I think, when I was in high school, to a certain extent, always wanted to own my own business. And I never really knew what that was. And it took me uh, until working in the event industry for a while until I was like, man, I was like, you know, to I've done my Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. I was like, I really feel like I know this industry. And and I was like, it's interesting to me. I was like, I read the trade publications. I go to the trade shows. I get excited about new projectors. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't talk about it at cocktail parties, right. but like, you know, I, I, I spend part of my day learning about that kind of stuff. And so in my journey to having my own production company, events company, um, I had thought about a lot of other things. Um, I got really close to um, opening up a cheese shop at one point in time. <laughs> um, I got really close to – not close, but like I, I started having meetings and started thinking about, hey, how yeah. is this really going to work? Trying to come up with the money and the, the concept and everything um, of doing like a burger bar. Um, and there were a few other things along the way. And ultimately, I think I was the closest with the cheese shop. Um, but I kind of realized I just like eating it. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> What it is. <laughs> yeah. It, and to me, and I think as an entrepreneur, I think that's a really serious conversation you have to have with yourself. Yeah, no kidding. Is, is do I want to know everything there is to know about cheese or right. or how the sausage is made for, you know, to, to yeah, and, coin and the term, how, you know? How long can I keep it here and, you know, like – shipping protocols and like it's like no i just want to eat it yeah i was like i i would much rather just and uh the reason why i got into the cheese shop thing was because there wasn't one in my neighborhood at the time okay and i was like oh okay so here's an idea here's an identified need and you go down your you know i, I wasn't a business major right um but i i know i've read about it and and um uh, we can do another podcast another time about my thoughts about going to business school and getting an MBA. Yeah. Um, I have, I didn't either. Um, uh, and a lot of other successful business people didn't either. I didn't. Um, uh, it, I think there's a lot of um, uh, pros and cons of both, but there's kind of this hierarchy. You go and you write a business plan and you, you, you identify the concept and your target market and your competitors and all this sort of stuff. And so I had identified all that and I go, yeah, I think this cheese shop really could, could work. And I just got to the point where I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not really passionate about it. And I was like, I could, I could start it. I could launch it. I could do it for a couple of years, but then I'm going to be out and I'm not, I'm not going to be there every day. And if everything goes sideways, if I have to work this cheese counter every single day, (laughs) I am going to hate my life. And so I walked away from that one as well. Well, it's funny. Uh, I, it's kind of the same way I feel about beer. I just like drinking it. Yeah. Um, Kreitz had this idea. She's like, we should like, we should try homebrewing and stuff. And so we did it. I'm like, I don't enjoy this at all. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you really have to babysit it. And yeah. my worst subjects in school were always science. Yeah. So chemistry, biology, all of that. Terrible at it. Just don't no have a mind just for no it interest. And don't care. Yeah. Like I have no interest in getting better at it. I don't want to increase my aptitude of my chemistry knowledge. Right. I don't care. Right. Um, I had on this show Patrick Combs, who's the mad sensory scientist for Avery Brewing, uh-huh. and he got really into identifying all the different like bacteria strains. And he can name them, like he can tell you their technical names. And he's doing that. I'm like, 
I don't know what any of these were called. Yeah. I still don't want to know. Right. I just want my beer to taste good. Right. Like, I'm happy that there is someone like you who does this job. Right. Like, God bless you and keep making high-quality products that Avery does. Right. But I don't care, as it turns out. Well, and I think that I think that's, that's the thing um, that I think is really interesting about the world that we live in. Um, when we, as entrepreneurs, uh, have that conversation with ourselves, like, man, I'm a fraud. Um, you forget that there's some guy who knows every strain of bacteria and thinks that's the most fascinating thing in the world and makes a relatively simple product from it. Yeah. Uh, but you and I have no interest in it and we're like, man, you be the expert. I'm going to pay you to know everything there is to know about it. But I think that when you know, when you're talking about yourself, I think it's human nature to be like, well, anyone could learn this. Anyone could do this. And the truth is that you can't. And I joke with people all the time. I'm like, Hey, the ideas are free. It's the execution that that is expensive. Oh, totally. And you know, it's funny. I'm reminded of that too. When someone will come to me with something relatively simple and they'll be like, Hey, I, uh, I wrote this draft press release. Can you take a look at it? And I can write a press release in my sleep at this point. Um, and I go, yeah, this is all wrong. Like I'll just, I'll look at it and I'll be like, this isn't even formatted correctly. Yeah. But it's like someone comes to me because I have that knowledge, but it's like, Anyone can learn how to write a press release. It's exactly what you're describing. I've never thought of it in those terms, though. Uh, I think everyone underrates their own expertise. Yeah. You know, well, not everyone. You know, some people are, are proud well, to put people, that out there. Some some people overrate their expertise as well. But that's also true. <laughs> but no, no, I, I know what you're I know what you're trying to say, and, and I totally agree. The other best part about uh, entrepreneurship, I'm going to pivot right now, is first of all, I was so happy you moved back to Denver. Um, yeah. Which was just. I mean, that was a thrill. Anytime we got together, like you, me, and Kreitz, yeah. it was always a good night of cocktails and drinking and laughs. And doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like me at all. Okay, go wait in the car. <laughs> but uh, I actually thought about bringing a six pack to this thing, but I got to go to the office afterwards. Yeah, I got to. Yeah. I think I have to parent after yeah. this. So, <laughs> but so you come back and you're like, I want to get involved in the Denver community, and I have this idea. And I remember you came to me, and I'm like, okay, I. I'm always interested in what your ideas are because I think we learned pretty early on. I remember you and me went out to San Diego for one of the like CSU bowl games. Yeah, the uh, um, Poinsettia Bowl. Yeah, yeah, where they got their teeth kicked in against Navy. Yes, and we were <laughs> we were like in the very very small minority of CSU fans there. Yes, but uh, I think we had a number of conversations there where it's like, uh, okay, I think we're more similar mm-hmm. than we initially realized. And then also going out to punk rock bowling in uh, in Las Vegas. That was I, – I don't know if I've ever been drunker in my life. <laughs> but <laughs> that was pretty remarkable. But you came back and you're like, uh, here's this concept. And so take me through like how you came to sort of envision Mile High 100 before we knew it was going to be called that. Yeah. But like take me through the origin story of how you came to sort of know what this concept was. Yeah. So – I, at the end of last year, um, decided to move back to Denver and kind of took stock of everything that I was doing. And and I had been pretty successful, relatively successful uh, in my first year of business and was feeling pretty confident about that going into my second year and was like, gee, the thing that I don't have any of is free time. So I'm going to start this charity initiative that's going to take way more time than I thought it was (laughs) going to. Um, But it's going to be really cool. And I remember we sat down and we had coffee. I said, look, uh, I have a friend in Texas, and he's part of this group called 100 Men Who Give a Damn. And the the premise is that it's 100 guys who commit to meeting once a quarter, and they've committed that at each 
quarterly meeting, they're going to donate $100 individually to a local charity. Um, at each of the meetings, they invite three, two to three local charities, and then they have each charity present um, on a specific initiative or something they would use the donation for, and then the membership uh, votes, and then they award uh, all of the money collectively. They pool their collective buying power and donate uh, $10,000 or more um, if there's more than 100 people in attendance um, so to the charity. And that's an important thing, too. It's If you're there, you're committed to giving to whoever wins. Yes. Right? So it's not like they split the pot. It's nothing like that. It's like, okay, we take a vote, majority rules, even if who you didn't vote for wins, you're going to give money to the winner. Right. And so the, the idea is is that it's very quick. Um, the meeting is designed to be one hour. Um, it, there's like a 20-minute registration period. Um, we have gotten um, industry the industry building in Denver to donate some beer and donate the meeting space to us. And they've been fantastic partners um, in that sense. And so there's 20 minutes. We're going to drink a beer. Um, it's a diverse group of people. I per- personally, even though you and I have founded this together, don't know many of the people that are going to come. And I'm so excited about that because I'm really looking forward to meeting people from a diverse background, diverse uh, range of uh, industries and and experience levels. And um, uh, so there's a little networking time. The charities are encouraged to present for about five minutes each. And then we the idea is that we pool our money to make a big impact. And kind of where I ended up at the end of last year was – uh, I wanted to be involved with a charity, but I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And, you know, I can donate $100 to the Red Cross, and that's a great charity, and that's a great cause. But $100 isn't going to make a difference to them. Right. I, I, it will, but it, it won't, you know. Yeah. Um, it, they're not going to call me the next year and be like, well, we noticed you didn't donate the, your $100 this year. Right. You're not going to be their <laughs> first call. You're not no. going to be their 500th call. No, they're not. When they when they release the uh, the tax returns and earnings reports, they're going to be like, well, you know, we had a pretty good year, but uh, Braden didn't donate $100 again. So what a jerk. Kind of <laughs> tough around these parts, you know? Yeah. It, it doesn't work that way. And so um, we, uh, in, in this research, um, met with a friend of yours. And uh, what did she tell us? That there's like 27,000 uh, 401c3s, C3. 501c3s in the state of yeah. Colorado alone. Yeah, big shout out to Melanie Uli, who was uh, helpful in providing some context here. Yeah, and and I didn't really know that, and I was just kind of like, hey, this is great. We're going to get some Denver uh, charities in. Um, in 10 minutes, I'm going to get to learn what the charity is about. Maybe it's a charity that I'm going to want to continue to work with or continue to support. Exactly. But at the least, we're going to be able to point to it at the in the next 60 minutes and say, I donated $10,000 yeah. to this charity, and they're going to go do this program with it, and it's going to directly and be an attributable thing in our community. And I just thought that idea was really cool. And so um, we decided to get away from the um, being exclusive to men or women sort of thing. And yeah, that's uh, not a very Denver vibe, like the gender exclusivity. That I don't, I just, we both agreed that doesn't play very well here. No, yeah, I don't. And, and not, not to, um, knock the other groups because no, look, of course not any anytime you can get a hundred people together and donate ten thousand dollars to a charity i mean that's a great thing and frankly i don't care how you do it um i just think it's something that more people should be doing and should be involved with oh yeah um but yeah when i thought about how i wanted this group to be in denver i, I didn't really see that working and uh i think it's going to help the diversity of the group and i think it's also going to help the diversity of the types of charities that we support and, and that are brought in because the membership is going to nominate 
uh, the charities, and then we're going to draw out of a hat out of that right. um, nomination pool for each meeting. Yeah, I mean, I remember when you brought it to me, I thought, this is a fantastic idea, and I can't believe I get to be one of the leading forces for it. That was a huge thrill. And what's been remarkable is I've talked to a lot of people, because you're like, you've been in Denver, like you have a pretty deep well of contacts, and I do. And everyone I've talked to has been like, that's a great idea. I have yet to have a person go, man, that sounds stupid. Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like everyone goes, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, One of the more surprising things that I think has happened is I've had a number of people tell me I'm going to feel bad for the two charities that don't win. Yeah. You know, so funny is when I was working on this this morning before I came over because we're going to have the first meeting uh, next week on uh, August 15th. And I was sending a couple of emails and I, had that same thought and I was like, okay, John and I are going to get up there and we're going to introduce the charities and we're going to thank people for coming. And then we're going to kind of moderate this session where these people are going to present their initiatives. And then we're going to have to turn to them and be like, Hey, thanks for taking an hour out of your night on a Tuesday, um, coming to a meeting with a hundred total strangers and not getting anything out of it. Yeah, but th- that's not true. They're right. not getting nothing out of it. And they all they all sort of get it, and they're all okay with the – I mean, the first three that we've got are all okay with the competitive aspect, which is really good. Um, but they all get sort of the value proposition, which is they're getting exposure to 100 new folks who may or may not have any knowledge that they existed before. And so I had one of the, one of the charitable organizations even tell me, they're like, look, if I get one person out of that who really wants to get involved with us, then that's a victory for me. Right, and so that was the the – I, I got there eventually, and I think well, that, sure. I think that I think that plays into the that that human nature we were talking about about you know the self doubt or that, right. and and you you kind of get so far into your own head, you start having these thoughts that are totally irrational. Yeah. Where in reality, they will get someone out of it, and um, and they get the opportunity to come back too. Like, and that's what I've been telling people. Right. Yeah. We'll like put, they, we're going to put them back in the pool, and then they can come back again, and and all that. So I, I'm actually pretty excited. It's a little uh, Shark Tanky. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely going to reward the um, charity that has the best pitch. But um, again, you're kind of limited in what you can do in in five minutes, and I, we're discouraging people from having PowerPoint or yeah. anything like that. And I I really just want to know, and I, I want them to spend uh, two minutes on telling us about the history of the organization, why they exist, and I want them to tell us three minutes about what they're going to use the money for specifically. And then hopefully um, people will be able to come back and either through our email communication with our groups or our website um, or at the meetings um, be able to get updates and be able to share some photos and stories with people. Or if it's the sort of thing where they're um, you know, doing some sort of uh, event in the community and they need volunteers for it, we can put it out to our membership and say, yeah. hey, we've donated the money. We fronted the money to, to spearhead this campaign that they're doing, but they actually need bodies to come uh, volunteer. And I know that no one else on this list has a ton of time, but um, here's outside of outside of just you know donating the money, here's an opportunity to go do something and be involved in our community. And I, I just think all of these ideas are, are so cool, and that we're able to do it you know in four hours a year, yeah. um, and be you know kind of part of this. Like I'm really really excited about it. Like I think it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, that was part of my portfolio that I thought was lacking too. I'm like, I don't want to get involved. Like, give something back. Yeah, you know because. I love this city. Uh, I love the people in it. And I used to handle my company's charitable giving portfolio. And so I had exposure to a lot of different groups. So I had this interest to begin with, but just couldn't figure out how to do it. So when you came there, came to me, I thought, wow, what a godsend. 
Yeah, right. And it again, just I think just to have the opportunity to be exposed to so many different organizations and not have to choose one. It, because I know me personally, I kind of get weighed down with like, well, I want to I want to be involved in the best. I mean, I do this all the time with like restaurants or what beer I'm going to order at the bar. Right. It's like, oh, I only want the best. <laughs> right. Which one is the best? And that's a subjective question. Um, and so it, the best way to kind of conquer that is to be exposed to a lot and everything. And, and if you don't have a lot of time to really vet charities or anything like that, I think it's an uh, amazing opportunity to, you know, get a taste for what's going on in our community. And I'm excited because of the, I think the three charities, um, that are coming to our first meeting, I don't know anything about. Oh, fun. And so I'm really looking forward to getting to know about them and, and know what they do in our community and, 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 and see, um, that side of things where I just haven't been exposed to it. Yeah. It, uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, and you know, like with any first thing that you do, you know, I'm certainly, I wouldn't say nervous about it, but you know, I, I want it to go well. Yeah. Um, and you know, we just, we don't know just, it's the first one. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, that's the thing. And that was one of the reasons why I approached you to work on this with me because, you need someone, you need to have that entrepreneurial spirit to go back to what we were talking about before. And you, you get to this point where you're like, look, I'm going with this and someone else could do this, but I'm interested in it. And I don't have time to wait around and have let someone else take the initiative. That's yeah. not my personality. And that's not how I want to live my life. And that's not how I want to uh, devote my time and energy. Right. And so you kind of do it. And um, I was reading this article years ago and they talked about how um, the worst entrepreneurs are really analytical people <laughs> because they overthink everything. Yeah. And I struggle with that all the time. And I told you a little bit about my journey to starting the, my company in the industry that I'm in and everything and all of the other industries I thought about being involved in and mm -hmm. things I passed on. Um, but a big part of passing on all those was I thought too much about it. And so I was going through this process and someone's like, you're overthinking it. You just need to go do it. And it is the scariest thing in the world. Oh, and yeah. it doesn't matter if you're starting a company or trying to get a hundred people together to drink a beer and donate some money to a charity or start a charity or whatever it or is. Or even a podcast, man. I'll have people be like, yeah. hey, you know, I've been thinking about starting a podcast. What, what tips do you have? I'm like, you're like, start get, a podcast, get just, a, get a laptop and do it. Just start doing it. Yeah. Like you could record audio on your iPhone yeah. and the, the quality is not the greatest, but it's good enough to where if you want to be a podcaster, you can be. Well, right. And it, it goes back to what I said before is that the ideas are free, but the execution is what's expensive. Oh, and, totally. and so it, it's rewarding, you know, um, for me to kind of be the executor and to have the opportunity to, to lead these sort of things. But, um, it's uh it's it's definitely a, a one of those strange paradoxes of of life and and you just you just have to go do it and so we'll find out so um you know maybe i'll be back next week and uh it'll be a huge failure and uh we'll be talking about the uh, mile high two and uh, <laughs> uh you and i'll both uh, have tax deductible receipts for a hundred dollars each and we'll we'll get to be like well we donated two hundred dollars to a local charity <laughs> right and then, uh, then we can get hauled off to jail for fraud. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that'll no. be perfect. I don't think that's going to happen. And no, I don't think so either. I, I was looking at the list today. We we have quite a strong commitment, yeah, um, and I'm I'm good. really impressed. Yeah. So milehigh100.org. It's m i l e h i g h one zero zero dot org. Uh, go there. Sign up. Uh, join us next Tuesday, August fifteenth, at Industry, which is three thousand one Brighton Boulevard, in Rhino. And uh, everything's on our website. We also have a Facebook page, so you can look at Mile High 100 there. All of that will be linked in the John of All Trades blog piece, so J-O-N of all trades.us. 
uh, look for the episode with Braden Dick. And Braden, I've done a bunch of the plugs already, but this is the first time I think I've had a guest where I'm actually co-branding something. But uh, what else do you want to plug? Do you want to plug your company? Uh, yeah, sure. Global Media Technologies, audiovisual for events um, globally. Um, we have an international network of um, suppliers and uh, partners um, and produce everything from, uh, let's see, I did a party at Comic-Con. Um, I did a big uh, uh, outdoor installation um, around some soccer games a couple of weeks ago. Do a lot of uh, corporate um, meetings, but really anything uh, technical audiovisual wise is right up our alley. Um, our website is gmtav.com. Golf Mary Tango Alpha Victor.com. <laughs> Didn't know that until I had to give uh, my email address over the uh, phone one day. But um, <laughs> it's. Uh, Do you learn the whole alphabet? Or just no, the, just, the five that just, you need? Just the five I need. Yeah. yeah. I don't like to overcomplicate things. <laughs> Solid. You should start doing it like Super Troopers where they just make them up. Like yeah. Peanut, God, eunuch. Uh, um, but uh, no, I do that. And I think that we should um, acknowledge um, industry, um, Denver, who's sure. provided us the space, the beer. Um, also, um, Philip Holland, um, Holland Web Marketing, who did the Mile High 100 website uh, for us. And, and I think he also and did my website for me. And I think they both look great. And uh, he's a nice guy to go have a beer with. Also, Brad Haig, who did our logo. Yeah, logo looks great. Uh, NebulousVisions.com. He's fantastic. Uh, Brad's amazing. He's done the John of All Trades logo, the Deft Communications logo, the X-Axis logo, the Mile High 100 logo. I use him for anything that I can. He's fantastic. So, all right, man. Well, I think uh, I think that's it. We should, uh, we should get to plan on this event. Yeah. To make sure it's a success. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah, continued success to us both, I guess, right? Yeah. And that wraps up episode 141 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thanks to Braden Dick, founder of Global Meeting Technologies and co-founder of Mile High 100. Check out Mile High 100 on the web. It's milehigh100.org. You heard me say that at the back half of this episode. And come to our meeting Tuesday, August 15th, 5.30 p.m. at Industry, a great co-working space in Rhino. The John of All Trades podcast is brought to you by 4 Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They design the John of All Trades website, they provide tech support, and they do so much more in the campaign space. Whether you have a service, a candidate, or a product, and you need to reach people online, 4 Degrees is your best bet for doing that at a very cost-effective price. They know the platforms you should be on. They know how to reach people. They'll design great messaging for you. So check them out. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. New episode previews go up on Mondays. Those are on Facebook only, so be sure to like us there on Facebook. We are on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, both great ways to get brand new episodes downloaded straight to your listening device. We'll be back here next week with a brand new episode, so be sure to tune in then, and until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie, and come to Mile High 100. That's good, Johnny.